And welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, in breaking with tradition, as it were, I'll give you all the particulars about this program a little bit later on. We're going to jump right into our guest's uh, subject matter here on Tell Me Your Story as uh, we uh, start our conversation here uh, with our very special guest. Her name is Zen and it's a crier de Brook, and we're going to talk about smart the Smart Soul Academy, as well as guidance in that regard. And we hope that you will stay with us here. Zen, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Richard. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. This is going to be a very interesting program, especially in light of this whole aspect of your Smart Soul Academy. I don't know why, but it, it kind of makes me think of my smartphone. I'm not sure if uh, my phone is really all that smart. Mm -hmm. I don't care if I can launch a rocket from Cape Canaveral with my phone uh, by comparison to the uh, computers they had back then. Uh, but I know that one of the things that we talk about on a regular basis on this program has to do with our soul and especially listening to that still small voice. We have a campaign that's been going on since September of 2019. Uh, and back then it was called the Year of Perfect Vision, where we encouraged people to go within, to listen to that still small voice. Well, what were we going to do after 2020? Well, we figured, what the heck? The Decade of Perfect Vision. And uh, we still encourage people to do that. How much of a part of your academy is listening to our, I guess you could say our soul, our higher self, uh, the divine, some would say, I say, my friend. Yeah, I would agree with you. It is my friend. Um, the entire Smart Soul Academy curriculum is based around two things. One is getting rid of the programming that we have that keeps us away from that still small voice. And, the, and reprogramming the neural pathways of our brain so that we can stay in a place where we're living from flow and able to access that wisdom throughout our day every day. You can actually integrate it, that small voice, into your life in such a way where it's permanent and it's, it's more of what you listen to than the actual programming that your mind throws up there. Well, it's interesting that we, we would talk about the programming that we already have uh, there are those who believe that, you know, we come into this world, eh, for the most part, without any programming. Uh, do you find that that is in any way, shape, or form true? I think that we actually come in with quite a bit of programming, honestly. The, re the way that I get that information for myself is I've been doing a lot of research on near-death experiences. And there's like in every country around the world and all for the last like two, 300 years, they've been collecting information around people who have died and come back. And it's so common and similar for people that even people that have never even heard of a near death experience have a similar experience. And they're just finding all of this. And I think that when we come in, from what I'm understanding, is we're well, really well programmed into what we want to achieve here, what growth we want to have with our soul, uh, what our who we're going to be in relationship with, and have our challenges and our and our uh, joys with, and all of that. And I think we come in and we have that initial soul programming, but then also when we land with our family, we absorb so much information on how to be in this world that it kind of takes us away from that initial soul journey that we wanted to have when we got here. That that seems to be, from the research that I've done and the people I've talked to and the work of, at Smart Soul Academy, what's happening. 
So the programming that we come into this world with, did we do that ourselves? We kind of wrote the code, so to speak, and then it's people who have been living in this dimension or this material world, somehow there's another program. Uh, <laughs> I hate to put it this way. <laughs> kind of like The Matrix. Yeah. Um, I do like Keanu, by the way. I really do. I don't know about his beard, but uh, what a great guy. Anyway. <laughs> I like him, too. I like him, too. We use The Matrix as an example a lot. Yeah. But is that, that's kind of along those lines, isn't it? It's like you've yeah. got two different programs, and they're – would you consider them diametrically opposed to one another? Um, I think that they're enmeshed. I really do. I, I, I believe that, that everything is perfect, even the things that we think are – causing us suffering and pain and are difficult. I, I think we wanted, we wanted to be a part of that. I believe we choose our parents and, and that includes a lot of the dysfunction that our parents have that they pass on to us so that we can have our own experience moving through those challenges. You know, it seems to me as if it's, it's actually pretty enmeshed and pretty perfect and very calculated in the way that it's designed that, that appears to be what's happening. But that's what's so cool about Smart Soul Academy is one of the things that I've been able to do is I've discovered something that we're all born with. I call it our internal guidance system. And it's literally an expansion and contraction that happens in our body. It shows up like a lump in the throat, a tightness in the chest, or a sick feeling in the pit of the stomach area. And when you're feeling that tightness, it's alerting you to programming that is taking you away from your soul's purpose and your divine blueprint. And then when you, and I teach people how to be able to feel that, shift the mind and the, and the programming in the moment and it releases and then you know you're back on track and so it's like a little soul gps system that helps you to stay on track with what you're here to do and so that's what the all the curriculum at smart soul academy is about is finding those old programs using this system that we're all born with in order to recalibrate to where we want to be and things then start happening like i like to say magic and synchronicity are the norm because once you're following this experience of expansion throughout your day what you find is things happen really quickly and you feel more like your authentic self and you're getting the stuff done you actually came here to do and it's real easy to get distracted let me tell you um and that's probably one of the biggest challenges i even i mean i've been doing this program for almost 15 years 14 and a half years uh, i've been interviewing people for over 40 years you'd think that with all of that time under my belt all the people that i've spoken with i'd have it down i'm good to go i am just uh, a fireball of uh, information and i can i can give you all that you need and all that kind of stuff to make your Make your life better, you know, give you the facilitation and so on and so forth. Kind of like what you're there to do. I got to tell you, <laughs> nah, don't even go there. It ain't true. I am trying to figure it out just like everybody else. What about you? Yeah, well, I think I, I mean, I'm obviously I'm still alive, so I've still got a lot of work to do myself. But I have figured out the how-to that gives you the tools that you need. So let me show you a couple of examples. First of all. Um, no, I don't have it all figured out. But what I do have is I have a series of tools that when I am in a crunch and I and there's something that's not working for me, I know what to do. And I think that that is the key. The key is being able to have your own divine wisdom and discernment to be able to take care of yourself when things are hard. And that's something that we don't get taught when we're younger. And in fact, we kind of get 
pushed away from that. We start medicating with different things, whether it be food or, you know, our right now kids are using their phones and their video games and all of that in order to try to, you know, kind of fix something inside themselves that feels hurt and broken. But no, I, I think the biggest thing is, is learning how to take care of yourself in these situations so that you feel confident and secure no matter where you are or what's happening. And that's what I have learned. But as far as being broken, no, I've still got all my triggers and my garbage that comes up. I'm married. You could ask my husband. He'll tell you all about it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I I myself, like a lot of folks, uh, I've been uh, through the the marriage loop uh, once and out and then uh, back in one more time. Uh, absolutely refusing to uh, go through the loop again. Uh, and um, it's it's one of those elements that, uh, man, I'll tell you, uh, I am not sure what the deal is. But uh, my brother and I, obviously, we must share something in that regard because he's actually been through two, in and out, okay? Mm-hmm. And... Um, Obviously, his choice, that's what he's chosen to go through and so forth. But it is one of those aspects, and it's just one of many, many, many aspects that we, we deal with, the dynamics of relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, is that really what it comes down to, is, is the ability to sort of circumnavigate relationships? And when I say that, I'm talking about all of them. I am even talking about the one we have with that still small voice. Yeah, absolutely. I think it is all about relationships and that's the way we grow and that's where our buttons get pushed and the difficultness comes, you know, even it, one of the things I think is funny is you can take somebody that's been meditating up on a mountain in a cave for 20 years and they're all at peace and wonderful. And then you bring them down and, you know, bring them into the real world. And within 10 minutes, they're back to where they were because we can't, we can't figure out how to grow and become who we want to be alone. It's, it's just not really that easy. And I think our relationships are incredibly important. I like to think of them as a mirror and what we're doing when we're in relationship with other people is polishing our mirror. We're seeing in ourselves what things that we don't necessarily like. There's also beauty. We also see beauty and love and amazingness in our mirror. That's a part of who we are too, but relationships is definitely a polishing mirror moment for me. And, you know, I'll give you an example here. We don't know what the programming is. And I think the programming that we have inside of our, our minds that we get between the ages of zero and seven is what really makes our relationships difficult. So let me ask you a question. What color is a yield sign in the U.S.? I'm going to say a yield sign is uh, yellow, yellow and black, yellow and black. Beautiful. And you can clearly see it in your mind as probably all of your listeners can. In 1971, Congress changed the yellow and black yield sign to red and white. By 1974, all the red and white, all the yellow and black yield signs have been changed to red and white. And even today, people 90% to 95% of my audiences will say yellow and black. And the reason why is because it's still in our culture. So what I mean by that is it's on t-shirts and billboards and it's in, it's on book covers. Even my son, who's now eight years old, when he was two, saw the Sesame Street character bouncing around with a yellow and black yield sign. Now, most people, as soon as they hear this, they want to jump on Wikipedia. They go straight to the internet to prove me wrong. They know, know, know that they can see this yellow and black yield sign so clearly that it has to be out there in the traffic space, but it's not. I've never had anybody find one that's actually still out there and and in operation. 
And that's just an example of like, for instance, you're saying about relationships, we get these pictures in our mind about who we are, whether we can trust people, how much love we can give or receive. And that is what makes our relationships hard is this programming that comes up that is like a software program about who we believe ourselves to be and how the world works. And it gets in the way of us having beautiful, intimate relationships. Mm. Oh, well, it sounds to me like there is no hope and we just should just acquiesce <laughs> and just give up. And it's like, come on. No, um, not at all. There's tons of hope. So okay. This is okay. All right. Yeah. No, I'm, this, I, I know that yeah. I'm a very optimistic, half his glass full kind of guy. Always have been. Uh, although I've asked some of the hard questions, do you really, come on, Zan, do you really believe that humanity deserves to continue? Look at the way it's been treating its fellow men and women and children as long as it's been here and we haven't learned yet. I mean, we're in the 21st century and we have allowed, and I make this reference, I, I phrase it this way, we've allowed this little, because he's a short little guy, this little nutball to do what he's doing, and nobody's doing anything to stop it. Someone said, well, yeah, we're sending weapons. We're da -da. No, but that's not stopping it. Um, I've, I've shared this example before. I want to get on, if I had the resources, I'd get a plane ticket. I'd head for Moscow. I'd get out. I'd head straight for the Kremlin. Get out of my way, soldiers. I am going in. I go in. I grab the little nutball by the ear and say, uh-uh, your mother is ashamed of you. We don't play like this in the 21st century. You are on permanent timeout, and I do not want him killed. That is contrary to what this program is about, what my philosophies are about. He gets a permanent timeout. Then there's the other side of the coin that says, like what you just described, he's here to live out his contract, if you will, of experiences, just as I, just as you are here. Now, that's a hard one for people to take when you start taking a look at the horrific things that have happened to humanity, not just in the last hundred years, but since man has been here, and it's like, no, you cannot believe, I can't believe that you would take the position, Richard, that, that these people were, they're just living out their, their contracts. I mean, that, that diminishes the, 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 the suffering and the death and the sacrifice and that. Well, but yeah, you got to think higher. You, you have to think I from agree. a different perspective. And that's what the Academy is about. It is. It is actually about that and about how to how do you actually change when things are really hard because my knowing myself i try to be as loving and forgiving and amazing and do my best but i you can push me i i definitely get to that place you honk behind me on the wrong day and i'm all up in my own grill about how the person behind me is rude and inappropriate and i've yelled at service people on the phone and i i i can be pushed into those things and i think we all can and i think that's the whole point is there's very few people on this planet that don't have these problems, you know? And so, you know, it's interesting that you talk about the little nut job um, <laughs> because I agree with you. You'd think by now, you know, and there's two pieces of it. Number one, what gets shoved in our face all the time is our brokenness, our violence, uh, the way that we're dysfunctional, right? That's shoved in our face all the time, but there's so many acts of beauty and love and kindness that are happening in any single day, right? And I once had this vision it was kind of like a dream uh, that I, that a waking dream that I had. It was really, really very real. And there was a group of people and they were sitting around this like war table, you know, the kind that they used to use where they'd be moving troops across the plains and mm -hmm. stuff. And like, mm -hmm. we're going to put these tanks here. 
and everybody was sitting and it was you could you could I could see that they were looking at planet Earth and they were talking about how compassion was not being expanded. It was as, almost as if we have these archetypical energies like love, uh, beauty, compassion, forgiveness, gratefulness, right? And in the midst of us choosing those things inside the human body over and over again, it grows, it, it develops, it evolves, it becomes something more than it was before we were feeling it and experiencing it. And it's in us choosing when it's hard to go from like suffering to joy, right? Or uh, brutality to forgiveness, okay? That things that this thing changes. And they were sitting there talking about how compassion was not being moved forward, was not evolving. And so they sat there and they were thinking of a situation that they could come in where it would force compassion, us to choose compassion. And they came up with this situation and it looked very much to me like Rwanda did. It looked very much like the, they were project, projecting it into the future and like, okay, who's going to go down there and make this happen? And, the, and they looked over and they go, no, Hitler, sit down. You've already did your part. We need somebody else this time to get in there and do this because it's not easy for us to choose to come down here and be horrific. But yet in not doing that, we seem as a species to be choosing to evolve through suffering instead of pleasure. And that's just where we are right now. And I don't think we're going to stay there forever. I actually think that we will come to a place where the fulcrum will no longer be suffering in order for us to change and become something more than we are. But for now, that's what it is. And we I do believe these contracts are in place because they they help us to shift and evolve. And it's not just mayhem down here where we're just brutally kicking the shit up kicking each other out of, the, of, of our uh, nests brutally, right? But it is something that it's difficult, but what is coming out of it is profound. We've changed so much. It used to be that slavery was 100% the norm on this planet and how everything got done. And we're at a time now where, yes, it still exists, but it is so much smaller than what it used to be a thousand, two thousand years ago, you know? And there's even more than that. You know, women used to be raped on a regular basis in their lives, and we don't see that happening all the time. So we are getting somewhere. I do believe that we are going to make it. Well, I hope so, because I think about my father, who is 90. And uh, he, um, I'm only 61, and I've had enough. I just, and again, when I say I ha I've had enough, I'm not leaving. I'm not checking out early. Uh, but I've had enough of this. This is ridiculous. Uh, this does not have to be this way. And again, maybe that's just my my idealism. Uh, but it doesn't. It really doesn't have to be this way. And of course, no, you know, I, I've been through so many different programs that have taught me that uh, – one one program in particular uh, from a gentleman, he was a uh, printer in Phoenix, Arizona, who started a program called uh, Omega Vector. It's now, uh, uh, or Delta Vector, actually. Now it's Omega Vector, dealing with the zero point and uh, Teilhard and uh, um, uh, Pierre. I'm trying to think of the, of the names now. But anyway, his name was George Adair, similar to another great philosopher. And he used to talk about how the children of uh, rape victims, because rape is a violent act. Mm -hmm. Not always, but in many instances, they start out as very angry, aggressive children. So that it's that energy, it's that anger. And so when I think about, for example, the birth of a country like the United States, we were birthed out of violence. The Revolutionary War, 
It was not all skittles and bits. It was it was death and killing or be killed. And so then you have to ask yourself, well, then you wonder why we can't seem to go very long without having an enemy. It's those kinds of dynamics, if you will, those kinds of patterns. And I, I mean, I grew up, I don't know about you, Zen, but I grew up in a beautiful, almost Norman Rockwell-ish family. We have no estrangement. Uh, we've started to experience, of course, some of the, the, the things that people do when their siblings get older. I just lost my eldest sister. Oh, I'm um, sorry. And I can only imagine what my, pa- I mean, my parents, my dad said it the best, and it's a phrase that goes, say, that gets said every time a parent loses a child. Parents aren't supposed to bury their children. I had, I, I sat, I heard him say it. I had absolutely no response for it. I, I mean, what, what am I supposed to say to that, you know? Um, but this is the world in which we live. I agree. So what are some of the things that the academy helps us uh, to to uh, uh, what are some of the tools that the academy gives us? I'd love to show you. I'd love to. So can we do a quick little exercise that your listeners can do with us as well? Sure. And I'll, I'll have you have an experience and then we'll explain how to use it. So if you could just close your eyes, and if you guys are you know, listening to this on the go, you don't have to close your eyes, but it is helpful because it helps get rid of some of the visual um, stimulation. So just close your eyes and feel the bottom of your feet. As you pay attention to the bottom of your feet, you may notice that there's a little tingling. And then the palms of your hands, just notice the palms of your hands. There'll be a little tingling again as they wake up to your attention being on them. I want you to pay attention to your feet and hands at the same time. So you're feeling both of them feel a little warm and activated. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a sentence, two different ones, and you're going to just let it run through your mind like a cloud would through the sky as you're focused on your hands and feet. You're just going to notice if anything happens in the center of your body with each sentence. So hands and feet. Here's the first sentence. I do not have an internal guidance system. Try not to let your mind analyze it, just let it go through. I do not have an internal guidance system. Notice any sensation in the center of your body between your throat and solar plex. I do not have an internal guidance system. Now here's the second sentence. I do have an internal guidance system. Noticing any sensation, letting that just float through I do have an internal guidance system. Okay, well, your toes, open your eyes. Thanks, Richard, for doing that with me. Mm-hmm. Did you notice any difference in sensation for the two statements? And there was a point in the first statement in my solar plexus. There was this point of, I'm going to refer to it as uh, unease or discomfort. Yes. It wasn't very large, mm-hmm. but it didn't Good. feel... It, it did not feel congruent with my half glass half full <laughs> yes, concept. Yes, good. And then on the second statement, what did you notice? It was gone. It just it went gone. away. Yes. So throughout, we're all born with this system. It resides between your throat and the upper solar plex area. You'll feel a lump in the throat, a tightness in the chest, or a sick feeling. And that means that what we're thinking is not true or not going to happen. And people always say, well, how do you know that? I'm like, well, I've worked with 40,000 people, and this statement has been actually accurate. 
So all throughout our day, when we're thinking, whatever it is that's going on in our programming or as we're planning our strategies for our lives and things, this is giving us signals, what I call the first one, the tightening or constriction is I call it a closing. And with the second one, I call it an opening and that's the release. And it works like a compass. So like due north, if it's, oh, you'll be really open and you can get these big expanded feelings, like a super incredible creative idea that you can't stop thinking about and you have to actually go do. And that compass goes all the way down to north or east, or sorry, east or west, and it's like a neutral. And then it keeps going down in a closed sensation all the way south, which just feels like terror or panic, like a feeling inside. And it's moving all the time in our lives in relationship to what we're thinking. And what I've done is I've made it so that way, when you feel this closed sensation, you can stop, find out what you're thinking, and then shift your thinking to where you find the opening. Now, there's two things that are happening. And then I'm going to share with you what this means. One is when you find the opening, you start starting a new neural pathway. And that new neural pathway, you're able to design and create your mind. And I love that you work with stories. You're allowed, you are able to recreate your story as you go throughout your day. And it's actually creating new neural pathways that get take hold in your brain. But number two is when you find that opening, you're moving away from the, the anger, the strife, the, the feelings of violence, the frustrations, the irritations, the overwhelm, the anxieties, the fear, the worry, all of those are closing. And so we are able to stop at, And like, I love that you used the matrix instead. You remember when, <laughs> when, when he was dodging the bullets by doing these crazy backbends, yeah. you know, and oh, the yeah. bullets are going past him. And then all of a sudden he realized he didn't have to do that anymore. He could just do this and the bullets would drop. It's as if doing that in our minds when our minds are going crazy and hijacking us and taking away, you know, mm. from our, our normal lives. Like when you get in a fight with your spouse and for the next three days, all you can do is argue with them in your head. Well, what if you could just do this and that argument stopped and it was gone? And that's what people are learning to do at Smart Soul Academy is they're learning how to take control of this mind that we have and direct it for the first time super powerfully into the direction that creates more love, joy, freedom, and success in their lives. They can physically feel it in their body. Mm. And at the same time, they're recreating their brain. So the old patterns and the habits that you're talking about, the violence and the things that are occurring in the world, they end. They end in that person's life. And that's the transformation that I'm seeing with thousands of people. And it's, and it's permanent. It's, it's true transformation that takes hold and they don't go back to being the old way that they were. It's unbelievably profound that we've been born with this system. We've had it all along and we didn't know how to activate it. We had a hammer and didn't even know we had it, let alone know how to use it. We're talking with Zen DeBrook. We're talking about the Soul, the Smart Soul Academy here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I am so glad to have you with us here, folks. We're on uh, not only uh, uh, the, the broadcast, terrestrial radio, we're podcasting, and we're also videocasting uh, on YouTube in particular. YouTube is the videocast, uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player, FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music. Those are the podcast locations, along with many others that I I set up, and I don't even have a list in front of me. It would take me way too long to go through them. But we're out there, and then the broadcasts are here, um, and they're streamed live at richarddugan.com on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m. and Sunday morning. Uh, Monday mornings at 1 a.m. and then Wednesday mornings for a special edition of Tell Me Your Story. That's Wednesdays at 9 a.m. We hope that you will uh, get uh, make note of that. And 
with the podcasts and videocasts, why don't you subscribe as well? I want to ask you, we're going to go, uh, I love I love defining terms, and um, <clears throat> um, I, I, I want to define a couple, three terms here. The first is, um, and it may sound kind of rudimentary, what's, a, what's an academy? Oh, that's a great, great question. Um, the academy, an academy in general, is a place where people come together to learn and to create excellence and mastery in a chosen topic. And so this academy is really about becoming a smart soul, and it's a community of people as well. That's one of the things I love about the academy is because you're in the midst of creating excellence and mastery, you have a community of people that are engaged in it as well with you that you can count on. Um, so in general, that's what it is. It's, a, it's, it's for creating excellence. And I'm going to save the second question for last. What is the definition in this context of smart? To me, smart is an innate intelligence that's really seriously related to discernment. It's being able to uh, get rid of things in your life that aren't actually getting you where you want to go and being smart about the time and energy that you put into something. And I believe that as we get deeper and deeper into using our internal guidance system, in fact, it's more than a belief at this point, I know it to be true, we are connecting to a deeper sense of wisdom because we can physically feel in our body this tightening and this expansion. We can tell when we're moving off track and away from where we want to be in our lives and getting back on. So that's why I call it smart because there's no wasted effort or energy. You, you know in the moment with a real time what to do and how to do it, which that's my definition of smart. Mm. And we could go into the definition of soul, but there are so many different sort of definitions thereof. I do remember seeing a documentary, and I have to say this was, it was fascinating from what this documentarian had to do in order to get what he wanted in the documentary. Um, but they actually had someone who was on the verge of passing, of dying. And I, I have to say dying because, <clears throat> and I'll share this with you folks, you'll have to go listen to the interview that I had with Bernie Siegel, um, where we were talking about his wife and how she had died and this and that and the other. And I said, so, um, so when, you're, when your wife transitioned, he says, what do you mean transitioned? She died. What's wrong with using the word die? So in, in reverence to Bernie Siegel, <laughs> I will, I will um, do my best to demystify the word die and say that's the case. But they had this gentleman, I think it was a gentleman, they got his permission and he was terminal and they put him on this table that was also a scale. And they had, I guess, I don't know if they had hospice people there or what have you, but uh, they, they basically were measuring his weight before, during, and after. And after his passing, now nothing left the table in a material sense, but he lost after they declared him dead. He was, I believe it was, one half pound lighter. Wow, that's a lot. It is. That's a lot. I think that was, but he had lost something, okay? Whether it was a half pound or half a gram or whatever. What the hell did he lose? Where did it go? Because nothing left the table. And even if you took into consideration evaporation, that doesn't happen like that. Mm -hmm. So then you wonder, okay, well, 
if it was that essence that animates, wait a minute, but, but if it's an essence that animates the body, how could it possibly have any material or physical weight, weight to it? Good question. I don't know. I'm very fascinated by, you know, that's what part of my own personal thing that I like to research is the near-death experience yeah. and the conversations that are out there. Yeah. I find them fascinating. I really do. And and what's being explored and then the, cho the choice for people to come back. And I'm fascinated with our life review and that we judge ourselves, that the, there is no, there's no like forgiveness between us and any other being it's it's us and whether we can forgive ourselves that puts us into mm -hmm. hell or not hell you know these conversations and and the different levels there's all kinds of extraordinary I, I i'm sure you know this but there's all kinds of what they're finding now is people are talking about different levels and and your things are being created up there to be brought down here you know and and created down here in 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 physical form and i think it's just amazing what we're involved in and i can't wait to find out more about it i'm not going to like run out and die in order to do that because nope. I got stuff to do here. But yeah. I am not afraid to die and go check it out. I am with you there uh, on all the all counts. It fascinates me. I use the phrase that it's near and dear to my heart, the subject, uh, only because and this even happened uh, when I found out about my sister's passing on the 29th of March. Uh, I wondered. So so what's she experiencing now? What What's she doing? And. I have an idea, and it's, I'd say it's more of a belief, okay, that's not a knowing, through the work of Dr. Newton and his Life Between Lives, uh, I've got three or four of his books in Audible on my, on my phone, and I've listened to, I think, two or three of them that go through the case studies. Yeah. I went through the Life Between Lives hypnosis therapy session because we have a practitioner here in Santa Barbara. Very cool. What was that like? Oh, my God. I, I have to tell you that there's a part of me that says I want to say goodbye to this life and go back to that one because it was so cool. But I'm actually living part of that life in this one because I was a pioneer. I had a farm. I had uh, a field of crops. I don't know what they were. And um, I also had a cabin up in the mountains that I would go to probably, you know, maybe in the wintertime or what have you or to go hunting. And my farm and my barn caught fire, burned to the ground. So I thought, you know, okay, no. And, and I don't know what caused. Could have been lightning. I knew most all of the people in the town. You'd, you'd go into town and, you know, you go to the saloon or the, the, the store or the, tra or the trading post or whatever it was. And, it, and, and, and so after my farm burned down, I thought, well, what the heck? So I went up to my cabin to live. And, the, and, and, and this one day, I and forgive me for going in this direction, I walked out the door, I sat down on the porch on the chair, I put my feet up on the rail, tilted my hat back, and I said, man, it's been a good life. And I left. I just wow. left. Mm -hmm. And then I went through, and I love the way the practitioners do this, this one in particular. There were no leading questions. It was, what do you see? What do you hear? What do you feel? What do you, you tell me what you're experiencing. That was the line of questioning that I had. Uh, nothing was ever offered. You know, do you see this? Do you see that? Do you, you know, right. do you see this color? That No, none of that. And it was a conscious hypnosis, which was also very cool, as well as recorded. I actually have the recording. And it was just so fascinating. 
And yeah, it makes me want to uh, experience that. I remember even I was a little ticked when Michael Jackson passed because it was it was the day before my birthday. It's like, damn it, he took the wind out of my sails. Uh, I think I was turning 49 at the time instead of 50. But um, again, my thought went through, went to, I wonder what he's, he, I say, because that's the only reference point. What is he experiencing? What is he doing? What is he? And this was before I had read uh, Newton's material. Well, it's interesting because I've lost my whole immediate family. Um, my mom died when I was 90, when I, 1993 my brother in 2003, and I just lost my father on December 14th of, of this past year of 2021. And my real first real death experience uh, research started when my mom died. I was 23 years old. I was totally devastated and heartbroken. And I got a hold of, um, I think her name is Betty Eady's book. Oh, yes, by, yes. Em- uh-huh. We've had her on years life. ago. Yeah, years, years. This was back in 93. So yeah. I got a hold of her book and I read it and it, it, it soothed me that it was really still hard to be here without her, but I knew that she was okay. In fact, I knew she was better because she had had a rough life down here. And it's same with my brother. My brother got lost up in the mountains and died of dehydration. We couldn't find him. We looked for him for 10 days. And, um, once again, and I've, I've communicated with them and I don't usually tell a lot of people that Richard, but now I've told everybody, but (laughs) <laughs> I, I had an extraordinary experience of talking to them. And um, do you want to hear about it? Yes, sure. please. Okay. So I had this girlfriend and she was psychic and she's, she's pretty crazy. Uh, you know, one of those gypsy gals that are out there. And she came to my house and she said, oh, oh, I've got to tell you something. I've got to tell you something. I can't remember what I'm supposed to tell you. And she did this for like the whole two hours she was visiting. Darn it. There's something I need to tell you. So as she's leaving my house. She turns around. She goes, I remember you need to call your mother on Mother's Day. And I looked at her and I said, sweetie, my mom's dead. And she goes, I know, I know. Just sit on the couch and put your phone up to your, put your pretend you're, you're putting a phone up to your ear and call her. She really needs to tell you something. So I, it had been years, Richard, like 10 years since my mom had died. I wasn't celebrating Mother's Day anymore, you know. In fact, I'd totally forgotten about it until one of my friends just called up and said, happy Mother's Day. And I was like, oh yeah, it's Mother's Day. So I sat down on the couch when I was done with that call and I put the phone up to my ear and I heard ring, ring, and she picked it up. She called me by my childhood nickname. Hi, da, da, da. And we started talking and it was just like, kind of like the fake conversation you'd have in your head with somebody that's not there, you know? And I said, so how's John, which is my brother? And she said, he's doing great. He's right here. And she handed my brother the phone. I had no thought in my head whatsoever of speaking to my brother. And he started talking to me and it was his voice. And he started telling me about how proud they were of me and how great I was doing and how excited they were for what I was creating in the world and all of this to the point where I was sitting there and I'm bawling, Richard. I was using my shirt to blow my nose because I was afraid if I got up off the couch, I would lose this connection. And we got to the end of it. And he told me he loved me and he handed the phone back to my mom. And here's the funny part. She goes, well, your brother said it all. And it was such my mom. My mom would totally say that. And none of this was in my mind. (laughs) And we got off the phone and I must have sat there for another 45 minutes just in awe and shock. And and so none of that was something that I made up inside my head. None of that was something I was expecting. There was nothing out there. 
So I do believe that they're still there. I do believe they're they're doing their own thing. I think we're having multiple lives at the same time. It's not just this one life at one point. There's just so much happening. I see the world more of as a kaleidoscope of our soul experiencing things than mm. one linear kind of moment. And all of this opens me like my that's but the truth. I can feel it because I open. And I think it's I think we're so at the beginning of who we are as as a as a soul experience together here on this planet. I, I think that's why I'm still hopeful. I know that there's a lot of garbage happening, but they don't show all the beautiful things happening every single day all over the world. We're treating each other good, too. We're taking care of each other. I mean, one of the things in China right now, I mean, you want to talk about another horrible thing. Shanghai's locked down. They got millions of people starving to death. And they put out a video, the people of Shanghai put out a video of everybody taking care of each other. And the Chinese people won't let that out. They keep taking it down and taking it down and taking it down. And it's this video of them not letting them destroy their their community by doing this. You know, it's so we're hearing about Shanghai, but we're not hearing about all the beautiful things that are happening inside of it. Just like after 9-11, New York became this extraordinary place for several months treating each other well. Yeah, yeah. We're talking with Zen DeBrook. We're talking about the Smart Soul Academy here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it's uh, really a pleasure to have Zen DeBrook here on the program. I um, I find this, this really uh, uh, extraordinary, especially when we talk about this aspect of death and dying, which we both are, are fascinated by. <clears throat> and I... I sometimes have to stop myself from using the terminology of, um, you know, uh, uh, the, the veil or the other side. And, and I have to remind myself there is no other side. Mm-hmm. It's just that it's just like our eyes and ears can only pick up a small spectrum of the visual and auditory world. It's the same way with our, shall we say, our um, sixth sense, our uh, uh, I don't know, maybe your, our auric field or our soul, our spirit, if you will, that essence that animates the body, that right now, because of the physical body, can't reach out and touch. Or Now, I can hear, like I, I've, I've been hearing my sister in my ear, so to speak, mm-hmm. my inner ear, since yeah. her passing. And primarily, all I'm hearing for the most part is, hi, Richard, it's okay. Everything's good. You're, you're doing fine. Everything's good. Yeah, that kind of thing. Um, and of course, there's a lot of stigma over this whole business of communicating with, quote unquote, the dead. And I have a real problem with not the communicating, but with the concept or the definition of dead or death. And here's the reason why. Another one of these belief systems, the programmed systems. But the problem is, is there's two different beliefs that are that are contrary to one another because I haven't gotten a sufficient answer for this. Maybe you can address this. In the New Testament, uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Lazarus. And it is said the word dead is used. He is dead. Gone. And Jesus comes along and says, well, what's your problem? And then raises him from the dead. But Paul says in the epistles... It is appointed to man once to die and then the judgment. My question is, so which is it? And did they mistranslate the word that they're using for death or dead 
in the Gospels. Is it the wrong word? Was Lazarus not dead? He was just in a coma, you know, uh, and so forth. And it's like, come on, you can't have it both ways. It either think, is or it isn't. Well, I, I, for me, and I, I'm particularly interested in the Bible too and in and, and Christ consciousness and what really transpired there and, and also the misinterpretation. You and I are right up each other's alley. We should go to dinner sometime next time I'm in Santa Barbara. Yeah. I'd love <laughs> I it. Love I'd that. love it. Yeah. Um, I think of dead as being part of this this earthly realm. Every single thing here on this planet dies. And it's right. the physical form that dies. Mm -hmm. Jesus also talks about in the New Testament how our soul lives on forever and that each of us has God within us and we return back to God when we're, when we're done. And so I've separated the two of them out. One is that life that you're talking about that animates the body that never dies and that is a part of a larger whole that can't be split off. And then the body dies. And that's, an, that's a whole nother experience, which is dead is dead. Like once this body dies, it's dead. Um, and I do believe that we can come and go as we please. We just don't believe that we can do that. Like in your last life, when you're like, oh, this is enough, I'm good. Tip the hat back, I'm ready to go. I think that that's how we're supposed to do it. A lot of the religious conversation we're in, and I personally am Christian, and I've studied all Taoism, Buddhism, all kinds of other things, and I love a lot about that too. But for me, it always just seems to come back to Christ consciousness and that energy of love. And I think that's where I want to evolve to is that kind of energy. But um, I do believe that the constructs of religion has really put us in a box where we can be controlled. And even myself, I can feel like I close when I have these feelings about guilt and what is right or wrong and good and bad and all of that. That closing means that what I'm thinking is not true or not going to happen. And I'm constantly because it's, it's like a fish being immersed in water with these religious doctrines, having to break free of that using my IGS to get to the other side. Um, and so I do think part of it's a mistranslation, but I, I also do think it's more literal than we, than people try to convince us that it is like Lazarus did die and was raised from the dead. I, you know, I do believe that his body died and he mm -hmm. just brought the soul back. That, yeah. that would be my interpretation from what I know. What do mm. you think? Uh, I think that uh, that is probably the case and that Paul is speaking more in metaphor than anything else. Uh, although I myself... Uh, I, I consider myself more of a metaphysician. I was born and raised Catholic. Uh, I worked for 15 years for a Christian radio station. I've been to Mormon Temple once. I was a Baha'i in the early 90s for about a year and a half. I have uh, read the works of many of uh, the, the philosophers over the uh, last probably century, or at least the last half of the last century. Uh, and... Um, uh, I can't buy into the, and I don't mean any disrespect to those who do, so please forgive me, I don't mean to offend, but I'm not buying into the concept that after this life, I'll be judged, and if I make it into heaven, I'm going to be sitting at the feet of the Master for all of eternity. I'm sorry, but I would rather come back here to the chaos and the confusion uh, then that's boring. I, I what? That's an existence through eternity. Uh, come yeah, on, there's got to be 
more to, the, to it than that because of everything we've been through here. I mean, yeah, I, I want a time of rest and peace. That's that's the other thing I love about Newton. He says, yeah, you know, they hang around here uh, in the earthly realm for a short time, and then they will go into the spirit realm where they will have a time, <laughs> man's concept, of rest. They'll be able to rest from the previous life. Let their soul unwind a little bit and relax before they go through their review and so forth. I agree with you. And I think, you know, there's a lot of the way that it was interpreted was, in my opinion, to stop us from wanting to have an amazing, extraordinary experience in this life because we weren't able to thousands of years ago with the way the slavery and the serfdom and all the things that yeah. happened. And it was, you know, giving us a way of being able to shut off our own passions and desires that we're being suppressed, we're physically being suppressed by others in hopes of having something in the afterlife, right? And that's, I don't believe what we're supposed to have. We're supposed to have uh, this extraordinary, amazing experience here to the fullest. We want to be in this body. I, I, we, didn't, we don't come here just to learn and grow. We come here because it's super fun to be a human being on Earth, yeah. you know, diving under the waves of the ocean, making love, eating food, loving one another. Yeah, absolutely. All of it, right? And so we're, we want to be here. This is, this is where we want to be. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you're not real thrilled with some of the dynamics in certain relationships, but you know what? Uh, set those aside. Everything else is pretty dang good, you know? I mean, I'm having a great time. Uh, uh, I found ways of... Um, I don't want to say mastering the body per se, but at least of understanding how it functions and saying, okay, uh, do I want to go down that path of ill health or do I want to go down this path of, of better health? Uh, I mean, I, I've had two experiences in the last two years. Both of them actually happened in July 2020, diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. I had it under control in a month and a half to my doctor's I'm going to say his consternation and amazement because he wasn't going to be able to, to have me on metformin uh, indefinitely, which I actually asked him, uh, so how long am I going to be on this thing? And I remember him prescribing <laughs> two pills a day, right? So for about two weeks, uh, once I got my meter, my, my blood sugar meter, I was able to watch the, the, the numbers go down. Um, he says two pills a day, uh, and then we'll see you in November. I, after a week and a half, two weeks, I went down to one pill and my numbers still continue to go down. And so I went to see him in November. He said, no, let's keep doing the one pill a day. I'll say, okay, February of 21. All right. And my blood sugar, by the way, was back down to normal, like I said, about the middle of September. So in February, he says, yeah, let's go ahead and go down to one pill. So I stopped taking them all together. And I had a supply of like... I don't know, 120 to 160 metformin pills in four different bottles. I still have them. I don't take them. Um, I'm going to take them back to the pharmacy and say, you know, dispose of these, you know, that kind of thing. But um, and then when he finally told me to discontinue altogether, I, I didn't tell him. I never I have never told him that I did what I did with the prescription. I still check it from time to time and it's still perfectly normal. The following year, and I, I, I haven't figured out yet what, what role emotionally uh, blood sugar and insulin, and I guess it's, what is it, the, uh, what, I can't remember which organ produces the insulin now. Oh, your pancreas. Pancreas. I don't know what, emotionally wh where that falls because I, found, I did find out, of course, I already knew this, that the gallbladder and the liver are sort of the seat of anger, you know, mm -hmm. of agitation. And it was around the Winter Olympics. 
Oh, no, I beg your pardon. I think it was the Summer Olympics in 2021. And I was telling the nurse after my surgery, oh, yeah, I, I just won the gold in the uh, gallbladder clean and jerk because uh, I had to have my gallbladder removed because it was infected oh. and had a had a, a golf ball-sized gall, gallstone. Wow. And um, that's one of the things that's so fascinating is – and I don't necessarily want to put myself, I'd like to consider myself as one of those quote unquote smart people. Um, you know, I'll let others be the judge of that. Uh, but I, I got to live to be 100. I got to outlive my great grandmother who lived to be 100. Uh, when she was 95, I started telling people that. And I said, but she's making it really hard. Now, that doesn't mean I wanted her to die, but she's making it really hard. And, uh, there's a lot I want to do, but I will tell you, and I'm sure you're, you feel the same way because you've already said this. If today's my day, if my if my expiration date on my ticket is up, I'm good with that. There's still a lot I want to do, but and besides, what could I do about it anyway? Right. Right. Well, I agree with you. I'm I'm good either way, you know. Uh, and I'm good if others pass. I mean, that's part of it. Was very sad to lose my dad in December, but I know that he's doing great. He had dementia, and it was. I'm really glad he's not down here going through the dementia experience yeah. and he's free and he's figuring it out and yep. he's home. Same with my so sister. I agree with you. Yeah. Zen DeBrook is my guest. We're talking about the smart soul Academy here on tell me your story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And, uh, I want to ask you Zen a couple of questions in regards to yourself. Um, first of all, is Zen your given name? It was given to me, but it was in about 1994 that that name was given to me and I took it. May yeah. I ask uh, how that came about? It, you know, <laughs> I've always had a conversation with God going on inside my head ever since I was little. Um, I didn't know that everybody didn't have one. I'm claircognizant, which means I get complete concepts and ideas. It's part oh, of the reason why I think this the Smart Soul Academy and the teaching methods that I use are very unique um, to get embodied learning and to teach people how to use this. And that came from that. And um, when I was 24, I was having a conversation and God asked me to change my name. And it was kind of a funny experience. Um, he asked me three times in the period of like five minutes. And um, I had already knew that something was coming. I'd been doing a lot of my own spiritual development and work. Part of it was the internal guidance system. And I was sitting there and he asked if I would change my name. Now I, now I know I sound like a crazy person, but I, it's real for me. Um, and I got real quiet and I said, yes. And then it felt from the top of my head again, Zen. And I heard, will you take this name? And I got all serious and sacred. <laughs> yes. You know, and then it happened again, Zen. And it went through my whole body and I was, and I heard, will you take this name? And I said out loud, cause I was like 24. I was like, I said, yes, you know, um, it was that third snotty yes that really kept me get going because it wasn't easy. A lot of people you picked on me and thought I, I'm a very I'm actually a very practical person. My background is in tech and global politics, and I, I was a CEO. And I really I like everything to be how to and specific. I'm I'm not woo woo to be honest. Mm -hmm. So taking on the name Zen and having this be a hippie name and woo woo and all that was very hard for me, but. Um, it really did transform my life in a lot of ways. And I think one of the things that's interesting about it, it's not just the energy of Zen, because that is what the internal guidance system produces in your life, is a very Taoist experience of being in the flow all the time. Um, so it's, it's apropos on so many levels. But I think the biggest thing about it is um, people remember. 
there's not a lot of Zens out there. And when they hear my name, they're like, oh yeah, I know her. I've heard of her or I've heard her speak or I've seen her on stage or so it's been an interesting experience to change your name and so forth, but that's the truth. That's how it happened. And uh, does this also incorporate uh, your middle name? Uh, Cryer is my husband's last name. When we got, I got married at 38 for the first time. And I had already had a book out and all kinds of podcasts and shows and all that. So I didn't want to change my name. And when we had our son, I made my middle name Cryer so that my son would have a connection to me because his last name is Cryer. Okay. You know, I, I and of course, uh, uh, there are people who are looking to find their connection to the universe, to uh, belong. Uh, it's, it's a huge, huge thing for a lot of folks. They just want to belong. And I have to wonder sometimes if maybe a lot of the discord that we have in this world today is due to that fact that they don't feel like they belong. So they're going to do something, I don't know, outlandish um, and so on and so forth, sometimes horrific, uh, because it's the only way they think they uh, can belong to a particular group. It's kind of like I was bullied in school as a kid growing up, and um, there were quite a number of them. And, you know, they were a group, a gang, before gangs were, I guess, popular, maybe. And uh, if you belonged to that group, uh, that was cool, and that was good, and, and you were accepted, and so on and so forth. And if you did certain things... Like harass me, uh, you know. You were even more a part of the group. Uh, I I took a solo path for the most part, other than my best friend, who I've I love saying this, who I've known for fifty years. We're still good friends, and um, uh, I did real well in track and field because I learned how to run and run fast. Uh, I figured, you know, flight or f f fight or flight, and I took the flight. When uh, so your thoughts in that regard, and again, it, these conversations are difficult to have for the very reason that we've already talked about earlier about the contract. Everybody's here to have their experiences, you know. So how are you going to, you know, explain it away in this context that well, you know, the reason there's the conflicts and that is because they just want to belong. Well. It's because of the contract that they signed or, you know, that they set up because these are the experiences they wanted to have of not belonging. I think that you've hit upon something that, in my opinion, is the most important thing. There are two things. Uh, I, I talk about this in Smart Soul Academy, actually, is significance and belonging that I would love instead of diversity and inclusion. I don't think diversity and inclusion is strong enough, to be honest, because we're just going to find the, uh, the next other, right? And I think that's part of, you know, when I take it back to this oneness that we're all a part of when we die, that you and I have been exploring, right? Mm -hmm. When we break out of that oneness and we separate ourselves from that love and that, that experience, we become other. And right now in the world, part of the pain that we're in is we're otherizing everybody. It doesn't have to be based on color 
or race or whether you're male or female or economics. I mean, I'm other, we otherize the people across the street who bought the house who are now Airbnb ing it. They're never here. We've got these strangers coming in every weekend and they're short term renters. So they're other than us in our community, right? We're going to just find the next other. But I think that the flip side of that is we really want to belong. And a lot of the pain on the planet is because we don't let people, we don't find our place of belonging. We've all, I think, had experience of being the last person picked for oh, kickball,、yeah. right? And so you're included, but being the last person picked doesn't feel very inclusive. Doesn't feel like you suddenly feel like you don't belong. Nobody wants you. Belonging is a sense of being loved for who you are. And I think it comes from the second thing I said, right? Which is inclusion, right? No, significance. It's, it's, it's what are you significantly here to give? That only you can give. And it's recognizing that, that precious thing that's unique about each person. And we all want that. We all need for our significance to be acknowledged by others. And so、um, that's why I'm saying it's not about just diversity, it's about significance. How are you significant? Because it's through us being significant in a particular area or with a particular person, right? That we belong.、Yeah. I have grandmothers, for instance, that are in the Smart Soul Academy. And one of the things I talk about as having a life's purpose is being the grandmother who's staying at home, taking care of the babies so that the daughter or the son can get, be working and taking care of the financial aspect of those kids' lives. And that that is a significant contribution to our world for her to do that or even grandfather to do that, right? And so, unless we get back to the conversation of significance and belonging, we're always going to have this otherizing, polarizing experience in our lives. And、mm. that's where I think our deepest pain comes from. It's incredibly important, Richard, that we look to that as an answer for part of the reason why we're in so much pain is how do we bring people into a sense of belonging in our lives and our community? I also think that a word that has been used, and it's the wrong word, the wrong word to be used in the context of inclusion、uh, tolerance, not、mm. the right word, because it's like, I'm going to tolerate you. I don't like you. I don't know. The word, I think, and it, granted, this requires self growth in order to really achieve this, the, the, the actions of this word, is acceptance, not tolerance, but acceptance. It doesn't necessarily mean that I agree with the way you're living your life and the things that you're doing, but I accept you. As a human being who has every right to be here, I, I had to go through that with the last president. I went through a four phase process once I got myself unsucked from the political、uh, quagmire.、Um, and it was、uh, the first thing was, and I, had, I actually did have to say this out loud, and I didn't want to, for, in the worst way, I didn't want to, but I had to. And it was, thank you, teacher, for teaching me how not to behave. Uh, then it went to, I forgive you, but more importantly, I forgive me. I forgive myself for allowing myself to be drawn into this quagmire. Third phase was, what is it that you're so afraid of that makes you behave this way? I'm not asking you to change. I just need to understand so that I can let it go and move on with my life, so that I, I'm not trapped in my own head by allowing you to live rent free up here, okay? The fourth phase was one given to me by one of my guests on this program. And they said it's very simple. 
the fourth phase. And it actually has to come from the third phase as well in terms of your, your heart. I love you. Mm-hmm. You have every right to be here just like I do. Mm-hmm. Okay? You are just playing your role. That's all you're doing. Just like me. I'm just playing my role. And it's made all the difference in the world from the standpoint of even other dynamics of relationships. And that obviously was a very extended relationship, you know. But needless to say, it still was. For every person who was, who, was, uh, uh, who, has, who has listened to and watched this individual, they were having a relationship with that person, regardless of how distant it was. The same thing uh, with Zoom. I mean, there are a lot of people I, 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 I've had on other programs that I've produced. Oh, man, I hate Zoom because it's just that. It's like, well, deal with it. It's what we're dealing with. It's what we do. And it's actually opened up doors for me. I'm now video editing after two, almost two years. I, I know I wasn't, I've been doing this program for, at that point for, for 12 years. And I, I, yes, I use Skype and I'd record the video. But all I was doing that for was to extract the audio so that I could then create the podcast. And now I'm video editing, you know, and so forth. But that seems to me to be one of the things that... It's like you said before, you know, the, the, the diversity isn't the answer. Tolerance isn't the answer. Um, we we really do have to right come to that place where we we say, look, you belong here just as much as I do, and and you are significant because you're significant, especially because you're impacting me in the way I am behaving towards you or in regards to you. Yeah, I don't I don't believe that anything shows up in our mirror. I think of the world around us as our mirror yeah. because we can't really see our own soul. It's reflected in the world around us. And things don't show up in my mirror that aren't part of who I already am to mm-hmm. see, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You just don't see that person or that thing, you know? Um, but I think that you're right around words. And I, I want to bring it back to the internal guidance system, that expansion and contraction that we did played with a little earlier. Yes. You're going to notice that words make a huge difference. They open or close you. So for instance, one of the things in the academy that I differentiate is guilt is always closing and remorse is always opening. Guilt is a program. It's a, it's a constructed framework about what makes you a good or a bad person that you didn't get on your own. You were, it was given to you by society, your family, whoever, right? What you, and that's where guilt. And notice you never do anything about guilt. It just sits there and runs around in your head. Mm-hmm. But remorse When you do something and you have a feeling of remorse, it's actually opening. It expands you that feeling of grief that you have. That's a, that's a remorse. And there's a way in which we go and we make amends when you're feeling remorse about something we say, we're sorry, or we make up for what it was. So that word tolerance, tolerance is closing. It's, it's a tightening word. Mm -hmm. Tolerance is an, an irritation that inside your body that you're allowing to continue towards another person that keeps you locked in a dance with them. Where acceptance or receiving them as they are, right? That's what you're saying. Yes. Acceptance, you're accepting them. You're receiving them for who they are, allowing them to be their own being, not judged by you, is opening. And therefore, you're no longer locked in that resistance dance with that person. And they can move on their way and you can move on your way. And these are these little key things that you're bringing up are are the crux of Smart Soul Academy and the teachings that are in there. Mm-hmm. Is how do you navigate through these kinds of elements so that you can stay clean and on track 
and in a place of allowance, allowing a state of allowing to where things that are right for you get to you and things that aren't right for you just move away. Just they just literally evaporate. Zenda Brooke is my guest. This is Tell Me Your Story. We're talking about the Smart Soul Academy. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, it is really a pleasure to have the opportunity to talk with you, Zen, about uh, your academy and the work that you're doing through the Smart Soul Academy. Um, I have four sisters who went through four years of university, a minimum of four years of university, primarily, I think, uh, Arizona State University in uh, Tempe, Arizona. Uh, and yes, folks, it's Tempe, not Tempe. Okay? Uh, <laughs> but... My brother went to, uh, I would consider it a vocational school, uh, DeVry, became an electrical engineer, worked for Disney until he retired at the age of, I think, 55 or 56. I'm 61. I'm still working. But I have no envy towards his retirement because that's his choice. And mine is the only retiring I will be doing is on my truck. Um, I love what I do. And I jokingly say... Oh, maybe not so much. They're going to have to pull my cold, dead carcass off the console uh, because that's where they'll find me, most likely. But one of the things that is so interesting is that not everybody is cut out for the academic, for academia, if you will. Uh, and, and I think we're starting, starting to learn that. Not because of the scandals either, because parents are trying to buy their children's way into university but because some kids some young people they just don't have they don't have the how can I put this um, I want to use the words capacity or aptitude but that that that's not fair they uh, let's put it another way they have the capacity and aptitude for learning their life's purpose through other means other than traditional uh, um, education. Would you consider the Smart Soul Academy to be that one of those other ways of learning? Oh, absolutely. In fact, that's one of the things that um, I think is most important is the academy itself, the way I developed it is what, what I learned was that I, you couldn't go and change your mind because I'm really about new reprogramming the neural pathways of your mind. You can't use your mind to work on your mind. It's like a surgeon trying to work on himself. It doesn't, you can't do it. I, and it took me years to learn this. When I first used the internal guidance system, I discovered it by myself and I used it for several years. And I went from high school dropout to technology CEO and who had their degree in the unit from the university, you know, within about a period of nine years, all that happened. And then people wanted to learn about this tool and I just started putting more information inside their heads, right? Telling them about it and nothing happened. They couldn't get it. They didn't learn about it, but I had figured out that I learned it in an embodied way where I was practicing it and chain, you know, following this thing inside my body. So I came up with what I call the Miyagi approach. You must wax on, wax off. Uh -huh. the <laughs> yep. Yep. And so what I do is I give people these little practices they do them in their lives. It's like a 15 or minute or less lecture that with a practice, you do it, you're actively using your internal guidance system for three or four days. And then I give you the next practice and the next practice. And so what happens is, is 
then I, you know, and, and the other thing is I don't really engage your mind. I just, you're just doing it and you're having your own ahas. And I think the aha experience of, a, of awareness coming, dawning on you is also an important aspect of learning where you need those ahas and you need that. So after a period of two or three months, you are actually physically using this tool without me having engaged your mind much. So it's like being able to drive your car home on your way home from work and you don't even remember the drive because you're thinking about something else. Oh, yeah. Your body begins using this internal guidance system and naturally reprogramming your mind towards greater health, success and happiness as you go about your day. And so it's a very using Smart Soul Academy and the tools inside of it and the way that I've designed the teaching. It it is revolutionary. It's it you for sure will have results if you just take on these little practices to a week. Every three or four days, you get a new practice and your life dramatically transforms. Um, so it's very different than and, and more like this vocational school. I love vocational schools because you actually do hands on stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You do it. Like, a, apprenticeship, you know, is another way where you're actually physically doing the thing you need to learn. I think that's why no offense to university people. I myself have a degree. But we fill our minds full of information that we hardly are able to remember. And then we get out and we don't have the actual experience we need to make a difference and contribute who we are, because all we have is theory and theory is not going to get us where we want to be in our lives. It's not part you know, theory is not going to get us to our purpose. Well, I will tell you that um, I went to vocational school. I uh, went to a broadcast school back in 19, I want to say 1980. I think it was 80, 80 or 81. Anyway, because I wanted to make a difference in this industry. And I you froze. You were, you were frozen for the last three minutes, couple minutes, just so you know. Okay. Let me mark that. Yeah. I went to vocational school and I jokingly say that I uh, knew more coming going in than I did coming out. And here's the reason why. I jokingly say that. One day in class, they, uh, I, I was wondering where everybody was, and they were all huddled inside one of the studios because it, the, the console was not working. It was dark. And they were, trying, they were fiddling with everything. They were looking all over the place. Now, understand, I didn't get much respect in vocational school any more than I did in grade school or high school. Uh, but I, I'm looking around, I'm looking around, and I didn't actually see anything. But I said, uh, did you check to see if it was plugged in? Mm -hmm. And it wasn't plugged in. Yeah. Now, instead of being praised for coming up with the solution, I was criticized for, uh, uh, for coming up with the solution, almost like uh, I showed up the instructor. It's like, Really? Yeah, you know? but that's his ego. That says nothing. Oh, I know. I know. But this was by the other students even. You know, it's like, oh, who the heck do you think you are, you know? Well, I mean, that's typical of, uh, I love the joke, uh, the story that's told about uh, a gentleman who calls uh, uh, IT technical support for his computer. And, and they're going on and on and on and on and on and on, trying to check this, that, and the other thing, and the thing that, that wasn't working. Is <clears throat> you check to see if it was plugged in. Of course, it wasn't plugged in. Yep. Uh, you know, and I find that fascinating. But what I do love is the fact that we're, I think that in certain pockets, not only of this country, but of the world, there are people such as yourself. It's just, again, one of the uh, objectives of this program is to have folks like you on this program 
to talk about these new ways of living, new ways of learning, new ways of working, of playing, uh, whatever aspect of your life. And I remember a conversation regarding institutions with one of my guests uh, about, uh, you know, how, we, you know, we got to get rid of the old institutions and, and build the new ones. And, and he says, no, 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 no. You do not want to destroy the old institutions. You want to build new institutions that make the old ones obsolete. Mm -hmm. But they only become obsolete, Zen, if people start using the new ones. How do you, uh, do you rely on the universe, on spirit, to just guide the people to you who need it? Do you actively go out and seek people? Do you advertise? I mean, I know you're on the internet and all of that stuff. How do we make the old, um, old institutions obsolete so that academies like the Smart Soul Academy become the new institution? I think part of it is using the internal guidance system, checking in with yourself to see what's right for you. We all have the ability to check in with ourselves. And I know some of us are better at it than others. You know, that's the whole reason that I started the Smart Soul Academy is to teach people how to check in. But we have a tendency to listen to other people. And they're like, this is how you do well in life. You go to school, you graduate, you go to you know university, you get out of university, you get a job, you get a wife or a husband, and you have two kids and a car and a mortgage. And this one-way road track that they try to push everybody into, it's not the way the world works. If you look at nature, for instance, out there, everything has got a different role and a different part to play, you know, and everything from the, the bacteria and the soils and the bugs and the trees and the, you know, the way everything. And that's how we're supposed to be as human beings. We all have our own unique thing that we bring into the party, right? Mm -hmm. And the number one way to get rid of these old institutions is to have people check in with their, themselves as to, is this in my joy? Is this going to actually, is this the place where I'm feeling most comfortable is to go to university? you know, or, or vocation school isn't right for other people. You, there are lots of like being a doctor. I do not want a doctor who's necessarily gone to one vocational school. I kind of want them to have a medical degree and have practice surgery at a hospital and did their internship and stuff. But um, I think it's crucial that each of us, it's that, and that's that significance and belonging again, is checking in about what is it that I need to do to bring who I am to the world and not have the courage to not listen to the peer pressure and the parental and cultural pressure to follow a track that might not be right for them. That's when these old institutions, I mean, I went to university because I wanted to prove something to myself, not because I needed the education. I have, I didn't, I, I went in and got my degree in global politics, the minor in Chinese and, and I came out and I went into tech, you know, so I, I didn't uh, even use that. Yeah. Right. And money, most people don't. Yeah. Money well spent, huh? Right. I know. And I, you know, if I were to go back, I probably needed that. I, I mean, I was a high school dropout and I, because of my family of origin and the situation I was in and I emancipated and dropped out of high school and went to work to take care of myself. I think I needed the degree mentally just to prove that I was not a dumb high school dropout. Mm. But the truth of the matter is um, with the amount of debt I occurred in things, if I didn't need that self-esteem boost, it wouldn't have been the, the right choice. And I now went from tech into this, which is personal development and human evolutionary, you know, teachings. And I'm completely different than I would have been back then. And this, I didn't, I don't have a degree or a therapies license or anything. This is something that I decoded and discovered on my own and then began teaching. Yeah.
Uh, you know, I, I find it fascinating, especially in the times in which we live, which I hate that phrase, um, uh, where when I was back in Phoenix uh, back in uh, uh, April, uh, I had a conversation, of course, with all of my sisters and my parents, as well as my brother. And it was fascinating to the extent that it could have been a conversation that could have actually caused estrangement between myself and my brother. But as the conversation wore on into one o'clock in the morning, as my mother comes out of the bedroom saying, boys, it's one o'clock. Uh, <laughs> uh, we began to come to an agreement on two or three different points we were talking about. Now, we didn't necessarily agree about the solution, but that the problem needed to be solved and the way that it was supposedly being solved wasn't solving it. Yeah. And uh, what it, it kind of said to me after the fact, I mean, I was a little taken aback by his perspective thinking, where the hell did he learn? Where did he get into this? You know, because none of the other, none of the sisters or my parents have this perspective on life. And, but, you know, he's, he has every right to his perspective, his viewpoint, his opinions. And they aren't wrong. Okay, I, I want to be clear on that. I'm not right and he's wrong. We just have different views on the world. And that's what makes the world go around. But the, the conclusion I came to was, I don't care what he thinks or believes, what his philosophies are. He's still my brother. Just like when my father came, said to me, uh, I, ju I just want an answer, you know, uh, to, to the question, where's your brother? He didn't come home with me and my mom. And I said, well, we had to sell him to put gas in the car. He didn't find that funny at all. But he then came to me later that night as I'm making the couch up. He says, I want to apologize for getting upset with you earlier, to which I said, Dad, you, you're my father and I will always love you and you'll always be my dad. And with a little hug, and we were fine. And I hugged my brother before I left to come back to Santa Barbara in the same way. You know? Um, my God, I guess, I guess the saying is true. It would be a boring place to live if we all thought the same, believed yeah. the same. In spite of the fact that there are institutions that say that there's only one way to God. <laughs> I know. I Yeah. We've got a lot of work to do now down here, but I think we could actually have a really good time doing it yeah. if we have the right tools. Although I have no intention of uh, riding any more roller coasters. Uh, that that was years and years and years ago. I don't need that kind of uh, <laughs> dynamic in my life. I rode the uh, Revolution at Magic Mountain. I've ridden the Matterhorn. I'm good. Uh, <laughs> life is just fine uh, uh, having had those experiences. At least I had them. Yep. Uh, and I know what an e-ticket is, okay? So there you go. I'm that old, too. I remember all the old e-tickets. Oh, my God. That was so much fun. I still I still remember uh, my first trip uh, was with the eighth grade class. Two of the girls who hated me the most, we were standing out uh, in the water, and a riptide came in and pulled my feet out from under me, and I was heading out to sea. Guess who saved me? The two girls who hated me the most. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I thank you, Leslie Williams and uh, Chris Christopherson. Um, 
That was her name. And uh, I appreciate the fact that you saved me because now I'm here today talking with Zen DeBrook here on Tell Me Your Story. Zen, I thank you so much for joining me here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, as uh, you have given us a lot to think about, giving us uh, choices and knowledge of those choices to help make our dreams come true. I, There's no question about it. I thank God I don't need uh, my neighbor, the electrician, to rewire the uh, synapses in my brain. I can use your steps uh, uh, that are much, uh, much less painful. Um, and I thank you for sharing these things with, with us here on the program. Ah, my pleasure. Thank you. You've been such a wonderful host, and you've I really enjoyed our conversation, Richard. Thank you. We're going to do it again, I promise you, because I know there's a lot more to talk about. Maybe what we'll do is we'll we'll grab some uh, some points from uh, some of the subcategories of Smart Soul Academy. Uh, oh, I love know, it. Uh, I don't know if you have um, band, uh, football, and uh, physical education at the academy. I don't know how your football team or baseball team are doing, but uh, we could talk about some of the other aspects of academia there at uh, Smart Soul Academy. I'd love to. That would be fantastic. Yeah. Then we'll set it up following this interview so that uh, we can continue this conversation. I do have three final questions that I like to ask all of my guests. You may have addressed them during the program, but I like to ask them directly. But before I do, I want to talk to you, the listener and the viewer. Thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are uh, broadcasting uh, Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., Wednesdays at 9 a.m. for our special edition of Tell Me Your Story, as those programs are streamed live at richarddugan.com. I know that sounds like a contradiction, but it's not. And then we have the podcasts that are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, a bunch of other locations. And folks are reposting those interviews. Thank you for doing that. Uh, that's really terrific of you. I'm a one-man band. I do the website. I do the posting. I do the editing of the videos. And when I do start uh, the company known as, uh, I don't know, Tell Me Your Story or Fast Forward Audio, communi audio Video Communications, I will, uh, first of all, get a CPA, and then I'll get staff that will handle that for me so that I can focus on just doing these uh, programs. Uh, but in the meantime, in between time, if you'd like to support the work that we are doing here, uh, we have a PayPal account. It's here for your security as well as ours. Any amount is welcome, and uh, you just have to go to PayPal or you go to the link on the homepage of richarddugan.com. You click on that. It takes you right to the donate page and uh, whatever amount. We'll take energetic support as well. Good thoughts and prayers are always, always welcome. We'll put, them, we'll put that energy to good use. We also ask you to participate in the Decade of Perfect Vision. It's the 2020s where we ask you to go within, spend time in that quiet, peaceful, calm place listening to that still small voice. Oh, and one other thing. We're also on YouTube where you can watch these interviews. We have a channel. It's Tell Me Your Story. Just look for the guy with the black hat. Richard. With that being said, now we ask our guest those three final questions. The first of which is, who is Zen Kriya de Brook? Mm, that's a hard one, actually. I would say I am a woman who is excited about her purpose and her passion. And I feel very blessed and grateful that I get to do this work. I'm like you. I'm going to do it till the day I die because it's such a profound, fabulously way to spend my life. And so I'm a gal who loves her job and is, feels very lucky to get to do it. 
What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? I want to achieve everybody on the planet being able to use their internal guidance system and change their neural pathways of their mind because I believe that we could actually do this well down here as a society together, as a human species, and that we are ready to evolve. And so that's what I want to achieve as I want as many people using these tools so that we can actually get to the other side where we have actually recreated heaven on earth. And finally, what is your life's purpose? I have two. One is to be non-judgmental. Um, it's, I think it's one of my gifts is I take everybody for who they are and I don't judge. And the other one is to love. Well, Zenkaya DeBrook, I want to thank you so much for joining us and sharing with us the Smart Soul Academy. We are going to have you back again to continue our conversation and expand on what people can learn through the Academy. And uh, the uh, website that folks can go to, of course, uh, stands to reason it would be smartsoulacademy.com. We will be linked to your website so that folks can find out more about the work that you're doing at the Smart Soul Academy, Soul guidance for smart people. And uh, that's less about, uh, I would say, if I'm correct in this, less about intellect and more about a desire to, as I like to put it, uh, change the world for the better for everyone. I realize everybody's better is different. I get that. That's okay. That's okay. Because, you know, the way it is right now, it's not a horrible place to be, okay? But there's always room for improvement. And again, I thank you uh, for joining us then. Thank you, Richard. I look forward to coming back. And I thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story. New paradigms for a new world. We're giving you choices and knowledge of those. I do not know why I'm laughing. Choices and knowledge of those choices um, to help make your dreams come true. That's the slogan. And we're looking for those new ways of living because the old ways just aren't working. Just look around you. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to Lal and Jeanette, I'm listening.